All right, it's 10 after 7. We're going to go ahead and just open up with a spirit of prayer here. want to thank you guys for coming out. How many of you having an awesome spring? Isn't it great? Man, I'll tell you, spring has sprung, and it is here. Man, I'll tell you, uh, we need to pray for those people who have been hit by the storm. It's amazing, hitting northeast, northwest, and even Rockwall hit, got hit with a microburst last night. Uh, I was no, noticing the news on this. Uh, just want to really, I really want to lift up uh, our city on that because I know we're just beginning our springtime here, but uh, amen. Let's just welcome the Holy Spirit too, shall we? I know you've worked hard all day and uh, I know the stress and just issues of life. And uh, I, I believe the Lord wants you to leave here more refreshed, stronger, equipped, empowered than when you came in. Amen. Amen. I know, David, I seem a little hot here, uh, a little loud. No, no, I didn't mean hot in that way. I meant hot in the speech. <laughs> That's okay. Of course, I am kind of hot, though, maybe. God, pray for humility in Jesus' name. No, let's, uh, let's just open up with prayer. Father, we thank you for just the awesome time that we can have in your presence. Lord, we know that it's, it's bigger than just preaching, teaching. It's bigger than just even the assembling. It really is all about you. It's about you, Lord, being glorified in every aspect of our life. Father, we thank you, Lord, that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your Spirit. And Lord, your Spirit always quickens us. So Lord, I just pray tonight that you would quicken our minds, our bodies. Father, we just pray for those that could not make it for whatever reason. Maybe they're tired, they're sick, they're just exhausted. Lord, we just pray for strength. Just empower them. Just give life to them tonight. Give them rest. Lord, we serve a God who causes us to enter into rest. Lord, it's not by our own strength. It's learning to rest, learning to trust. So, Lord, we just ask you to open the word. Let the word become a living, living word in our minds, our hearts. In Jesus' name, and also, Lord, just I, I just pray. <laughs> we just pray, Lord, for our city. We just ask you, Lord. We know we're coming into the springtime. Lord, I just pray for those people in Rockwell that got hit tonight, last night. This gentleman completely thrown out of his house. Just my heart went out to him. I have no idea who he is, but Lord, I just pray that you would just refresh and bring healing to his body, an elderly man. So many, Lord, just go through the loss and just the setback of these storms. We just pray, Lord, for your grace upon our city. Lord, as we go through this season of the spring, I just pray, Lord, for favor on Dallas, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. If we could jump to Ephesians 6, verse 10. Visions, Ephesians 6. Verse 10, I want to read a scripture. How many of you believe that if you're in a battle, it's good to know who your enemy is? Uh, if, if you don't know what you're fighting and who you're fighting against, 
then you are going to be uh, at a very huge disadvantage. I heard a story uh, that was amazing to me, uh, and I read it some time ago. This, this actually happened in 1942 when Germany was invading Europe. And one of the things that Germany did as a ploy, some of you might have read and heard about this, that one of the things they would do to try to uh, take a country was they would begin to use communication and begin to spread propaganda. And they would, they would, it was a propaganda war. And one of the things they would do is they would seek to conquer by dividing. How many of you know that Satan is the one who loves to divide? He comes to kill, kill, and destroy. Now, Jesus made it very clear that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. But what Germany did, and they, they really thought through some things in the beginning. They would come into a country, and they would uh, offer some things, and uh, they would begin to spread their propaganda about how they want to help their country, turn their country around. And then they would come in, in some cases, without even any shots being fired. And when they were in places of strongholds, then they would turn against the city. The city was completely caught off guard. Completely caught. And that's how they went into France and Spain, of course. They went in and, of course... uh, and they begin to go in and they would begin to take the wealthy, the rich, the Jews and people, and they would begin to put them in by the millions in their concentration camps. But it was, they understood the power of propaganda. They understood the power of, of, of taking something. And people had become so conditioned in their life, their farms, their city, their community. And then this nation would come in and, and make promises And people have a tendency to believe everything. That's the problem. The tendency to believe because we're conditioned in our comfort zone. But then the enemy turns and brings you into bondage to entrap you. And then ultimately take dominion and destroy you. One of the amazing things in the Barna Report that I've studied is it's it's phenomenal how Christians today in America do not take these battles seriously. That's why the Word of God. Uh, I was talking to a gentleman just yesterday and said, you know, Pastor Ray, I don't know how serious I can take the Bible. I don't know if I take the Bible as serious as much as I used to take it. Uh, and, And I said, why is that? And he just said, there's so much out there today that is challenging the credibility of the word. And uh, I, I said, do you know what the Bible says about that? But there you go. There you go, Pastor Ray. You, you're using the Bible again. Well, what do you want me to use? And the Apostle Paul says that in the last days, many will depart from the faith. What does that mean, depart from the faith? Well, what it means is they begin to they begin to take a casual attitude about their relationship and walk with God. 
I've never met a backslider yet that backslid because they were on fire for the Lord. But usually there's a casual attitude. And so it's good, it's so important for us to help us to understand who we are in Christ. So important to know what Jesus talked about and the message of the kingdom and who we are and what we, what we possess and where we are at in the kingdom. But it's also important for us to realize that there's an enemy there that wants to stop us, discredit us, divide us, destroy us, and conquer us. The Apostle Paul in Acts 20 makes reference to something that, that I, I don't believe in one second that he was being negative about this, but he's speaking to the brethren at Ephesus, and he says this, when he called the elders of the church in Acts 20, verse 17, he said this. And when they'd come to him, he said, You know that from the first day what, when I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. He's talking about his manner of life. Serving the Lord with all humility and with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept nothing back, but it was helpful. He's... He's talking about serving the Lord, helping, serving people. I taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to the Jews, then to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, doesn't sound like a whole lot of faith here, but Paul says, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit tells me that in every city that chains and trouble awaits me. How many want to come to the altar and follow Jesus? I mean, that's not the kind of message you would preach to bring people to the altar with. But Paul is saying, I want you to know the chains, tribulations are waiting for me. But this is, here's, here's what I love, his follow-up. But none of these things move me. What brings a man or a woman to that place? None of these things move me. I mean, the Holy Spirit, he, he didn't say the devil told him the chains and tribulations. He says the Holy Spirit. Now, was God trying to discourage Paul? I don't believe so. I believe God was trying to prepare Paul that if you're going to have to, if you're going to have a victory, you've got to be willing to get into the fight. Amen. You can shout victory from here. I can, Pastor Ray can shout victory. Oh, we we got the victory. But if you're not willing to engage into the fight, then your victory is shallow. I, you know what, I, I, I want to tell you something just personally. The Lord's dealing with me about preaching, teaching, which is, is simple for me. I, there, there's, I, I mean, I've, I can move in that area. But the message needs to be more than just communicated. It needs to be actualized and it needs to be formed. The, me- the kingdom needs to become a living reality. It needs to become a reality in our lives. It not, not just talked about, thought about, but literally 
if we're talking about saving souls, reaching our city, then we need to be doing something about it. We need to be reaching, talking to people. Um, in what I sense in Acts chapter, or I'm sorry, Acts 20, when Peter, I, I, I'm, I'm so glad that Paul put that in Acts. Because sometimes we have this fairy tale gospel that man, we're just in the heavenlies and the glory and just raising the dead, healing the sick, and everything's moving and grooving. And that's not reality. There is a reality that, man, you're getting up every day and you're going to work and you're coming to church, whether you're in the ministry, out of the ministry, we're all in the ministry, by the way, whatever you're doing. Some of you came out of work today. You've been tested, tempted, driven down, depressed, contradicted. The enemies used every weapon formed against you to get you to just, your brain can just be blowing up. Your emotions can be going out the window. Can I just say one thing to you? You're on track. You're on track. Can I just say right here that that's why Paul to the church at the Philippians, when they were undergoing amazing persecution, he said, by all these things, we are not terrified knowing for us these tr- problems and trials are working for our edification and salvation. But to them, the enemy, it is, unt- it is for their perdition. It is there for, for their demise. So when, when you're under attack, it's usually a good sign that you're making headway. That's why Paul says, none of these things move me that I might finish my course with joy. Tearing down strongholds cannot be done until we understand the spiritual realm, but we have to have a vision. Who for the joy endured the cross? God's called us to endure some things. I don't want to raise my grandsons or my grandkids or my sons to think that Christianity is a fairy tale. I want them to know there are powers and principalities. There are rulers of darkness. I want them to understand there's going to be times when when boredom can actually be used in a way to help you develop. That's not an excuse to be dead. There are times... Do you, do you remember when the time when Jesus was questioned by Philip and John? It was in John 14, 1 through 2. And Jesus said, by the way, just to let you know where Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And uh, in my father's house, there are many mansions. I, I'm, I'm going to throw this out to you guys. I, I know the old hymn, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Anybody remember that song? Do you know that the word mansion in the Greek does not mean what we think mansion is? I know a lot of people that, well, I thought I was going to a place with streets to go. I'm going to tell you, if heaven was a swamp pit, I would rather be there because Jesus is there, not because of gold streets or mansions and chandeliers. I'm not interested in the place that way. But when Jesus was talking, in my father's house, there are many. The word there means dwelling places. It literally means, the, and he says, I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
Now, in our eschatology and theology, we've often thought, by the way, I'm talking about a stronghold here, a religious stronghold. We often thought, well, Lord, thank God the rapture's coming to get me out of this planet. How many of you know the Jews thought that in the Old Testament? When Jesus came, Jesus didn't come the way they thought Jesus should come. Well, guess what? Now we're in the dispensation of the Gentile. That's since Pentecost. We are now in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, the Gentile. We are making the same mistake the Jews did with Jesus when he came. We have a presumed idea of the way we think that God should work. When Jesus talks about going to prepare a place for you, it wasn't some place in the third heaven. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a dwelling place where, where, where when the Apostle Paul in Ephesians and Colossians, where we have been seated with Christ, where in heavenly places. See, God's not trying to get you to the third heaven. He wants you to rule and reign in the second heaven. And we're going to talk about what those definitions are. But my point is, the mansions, the dwelling places, those places of abiding where God's glory and his fullness and his fulfillment. God wants me to rule and reign on earth. His prayer was, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth in my life. Now, I'm going to say something. Some of the most difficult things we walk through are intended to be God-given opportunities to grow in. See, what we end up thinking is the kingdom of God's over here or it's over there. No, Jesus said the kingdom of God is right here. And what's inside here? I have the Father, I have the Son, and I have the Holy Spirit dwelling right here inside of me. My mansion, the mansion, is the Father dwelling inside of me. David puts it in Psalms. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. I rise to the highest place you're there. And Jesus, listen to this. Jesus said something that is so amazing in John 14, and he's dealing with strongholds of certain expectations. And Jesus says this, and this this is mind-boggling to me. When Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, And what that place is, it's a place of kingdom, authority, dominion, ruling and reigning. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. Where Jesus is seated on the right hand of the Father, guess what? So are you. Right now. It's not just after we die. And notice what he says in verse 4. And where I go, you know. Wow, that's an amazing verse. And the way you know. Now notice what Thomas says. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except me. Notice this. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. I lost my place. You would have known my father also. And from now on, everyone say now on. Now on, you know him. 
From now on you know him and have seen him. Now that was a shock to them. Because Jesus was dealing with the stronghold of certain expectations. And Thomas is saying, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How many here would like to be able to be logical and rational about things? And Lord, make, make it make sense. And the Lord comes and says, from now on you know me, and you know where you're going. Now, how many of you know that just doesn't make sense? Jesus just said to these guys, they're trying to figure this out. From now on, you know him, and you know where you're going. Everyone say this with me. I know him, and I know where I'm going. Now, in order for you to know where you're going, you have to be able to go like Abraham. Abraham went out going, but not knowing where he... In other words, I need to learn to embrace by faith things that don't make sense. It's a stronghold. Lord, I I demand the right to know certain things. I demand to know what's going on, why... And Jesus says, I want you to embrace the unknown. And I'll tell you what, God keeps us on our toes. He doesn't want you to figure it all out because he is so much a God of variety and difference and things he does. But notice what what Philip says. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. Do you you know what Philip just said to Jesus right there? Jesus, we've been following you and you're boring to us. That's what Philip said. Show us the Father and it'll be sufficient. In other words, you're not sufficient enough. They had become so familiar with Jesus that they got tired of Jesus and Jesus was like, listen guys, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Philip says, well Lord, if you just show us the Father, that'll be good. You're not sufficient. That was an insult. How many here have ever felt that about your marriage? If I only just had another woman. If I only had better kids. If I only had a better this or a better that. And we don't even realize Jesus is saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He wants you to recognize that you have the kingdom of God in you right now and have the power to bring the reality of the kingdom, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the reality of that out where you're at. Stop chasing dreams. Guess what? I'm all for dreams. God wants to put dreams in your heart. But we've got to come and recognize that this mansion over the hilltop theology is a stronghold, and that's why there is such dissatisfaction and and people can't bible says to learn to be content in whatsoever state you're in and contentment doesn't mean you're not moving forward contentment i understand there's places and christians and believers and pastors and teachers they're just happy being satisfied where they're at i understand that's a dangerous place to be but i want you to know acts chapter 2 was not a constant experience like that. 
There were times when Paul went into it in Acts chapter 19 when he went to the believers at Ephesus. There was only a few brothers there that they baptized the Holy Spirit. It wasn't no big Acts chapter 2, 3,000 got saved in the day. And then Paul got a vision one night. And listen to this one. Paul gets a vision at night about going to Macedonia because the Jews had rejected the gospel, and he gets a vision from a man. And a man in a vision, in a dream to Paul, says, come and share the gospel. Paul goes up to Macedonia, and guess what? He can't find the man. There's no man around. He's talking. He's preaching. Nobody's responding to the... Well, I guess Paul missed it. But who does he run into? A woman. Well, that's not what the dream said. The dream, the dream showed me a man, but when he goes up, he finds the woman, Lydia. She was called the woman of purple or something in that degree. Here's my point. God wants you to start thinking outside the box. He wants us. Now, does that make Paul a false prophet? No. Because Lydia got saved. But it was a man that came to him in the vision. Guess what? He never did reach a man. Boy, I'm so glad. How many of you ever read that kind of stuff in the book of Acts? See, here's my point. Strongholds of expectations. I mean, I, I want, I want, I pray for this. I pray, God, send your fullness, send your glory, open the heavens, touch the lives of your people, open our eyes. Lord, save the lost, save our city. And I find that most of the time, God's dealing with me first. He's dealing with me. Pastor Ray has a long way to go. You can all say amen to that. Praise God. Notice this, back in Ephesians 6. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wilds. The word there, wild, is the Greek word methodos. It literally means to lie in wait or to set a trap or through bait by a method. A method, a methodos. It's where we get the word method the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Notice these six areas here. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your your waist girded with truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness and having put on the breastplate, having your shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of who? The wicked one. Now, I, I want to give you some definitions here tonight as we move on to this, because we're, we're going to be evolving into solutions and really learning how to walk this victory out on, on strongholds. 
You know, I, I, I want to share one other story about what happened in World War II. I actually read this. There were two British soldiers in Italy. They were being surrounded by German troops. They hunkered down into a ravine under bushes because the Germans had completely surrounded them. And they knew that if they came out of there, they, had, they didn't have enough ammunition, enough food. So they hunkered down, covered themselves over, and the Germans went on. They stayed there for over nine months, these two British soldiers. And they ate bugs, they ate tree roots, and they just stayed where they were at. At about six, seven months later, this was back in 1945, they're noticing out of this place they were at, hiding for all these men, two men, British soldiers, they just staying hunkered down. They noticed farmers were farming their fields and people were walking around. And they said, I can't understand these people are out there. What are they doing? Don't they understand that the Germans are here and they're shooting? There's farmers farming their fields. And finally, one of the guys said, you know what? I, we are starving to death. I'm tired of eating bugs and roots. And they survived for seven or eight months. They said, you know what? Let's just give up. One of them came out, ran into a, a gentleman and said, the war is over. The war is over. When did the war get over? What happened? Well, the battle, uh, it was after the Battle of the Bulge when Germany began to fall. Here's these guys. They didn't even know the war was over, and they were hunkered down in this place for several months, not knowing that the tide had turned. That's the way a lot of people are today. How many of you know that Jesus has brought a victory? It's time to come out of the cave it's, to start, it's time to start rejoicing in the victory that Jesus has got for us instead of just hiding and thinking, he's going to get me. The war is over. Satan has been defeated. But we need to take on the whole armor of God. Let me, let me give you some definition. Heavenly places. What is a heavenly place? The Bible refers to three types of heavens. And I, I don't want to bore you with this, but I want us to understand this. And by the way, I'm giving you definitions from a a powerful book I'm reading on um, uh, by Francis Frankenpan. I can't remember how to say his name, but he's written a book, a powerful book on strongholds. But I want to give you the definitions that he wrote on this. Heavenly places in Ephesians 6, 12 and 3, 10, when the scriptures refer to heaven... They're speaking of any of the three places which the context of reference interprets. The first heaven is the atmospheric heaven, the sky, Psalms 19.1. Then the second heaven, which is the unique object of the study in the spirit realm, which immediately surrounds the consciousness of mankind. That's his mind, will and emotions. In this realm, knowing frequently in Scripture as the heavenly places, which is the battleground of our spiritual warfare. Within this realm, good and evil spirits clash in the battle for men's souls. Ultimately, when the Lord Jesus returns, all evil is banished, and heaven will be filled with the glory of God. 
The third heaven, that's where people go when they die in the very presence of the Father, where Jesus is as well. The third heaven is the most familiar definition of heaven, first of many levels of glory, which are crowned by the highest of heavens, the dwelling place of Father God. Now, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 that we've been seated together with Christ in heavenly places. This is the second heaven, by the way. Why is that? Why are we seated with Christ in the second heaven? There are three heavens. Did I give you the three? And the third one is, is where the Father dwells, where you, when you die, you go to heaven. The second, let me say that again, the first heaven is the physical universe. When you look up into the heavens, you see the physical universe. The second heaven is that place that Jesus has seated us together with him. We are seated with Christ in that heavenly place. We are seated as those having authority and victory with Christ. Now, Christ is seated, and he's a seated, a sitting king. But as a sitting king, we are ruling and reigning, okay? The third heaven is where you go when you die. If you are truly born again, and you've been redeemed, you've received the grace of God, the third heaven is where the souls of those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life go. That is the third heaven. The second heaven is what Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2, the Bible says he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. That's the second heaven. Why does he bless us in the second heaven? Because, go ahead, where the battle is, but he blesses you and he graces you for battle. He seated you as a seated, Jesus, a, a, a seated king, a king who is seated is a king who's in control. He's in control. He's not afraid. And the Bible says we have been seated together. Three times in Ephesians 2, it says that seated together. Everyone say together. Now, that's important because he wants you to war a good warfare and he wants you to know what it is to win. It's not enough for him to declare victory over you. He wants you to go through the process. Listen to me. He wants you to draw your sword, go in the battle and fight the good fight. And that battle is in my mind it's in my conscience. It's in my conscience, subconscious, and unconscious area of my soul. You see, God is preparing you to reign with him in eternity. This is the testing ground. Life here. What we do and how we live now determines our rewards. We're not earning our way to heaven here. We're not fighting to get salvation. Salvation's been paid for. But what God is doing, he is perfecting the church till he puts all his enemies under 
Hebrews 10. His feet. Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body. But his body has not yet put all their enemies under their feet. So we're seated with Christ, we're crowned with glory, the fullness of him who dwells all in all dwells with us in heavenly places right now. He has literally equipped you, he's put favor on you, he comes and he lets you know that you have power, you have authority, you have the favor of the Father, you, have, you can cast out demons by the finger of God, and he wants you to exercise that authority. He wants you to really do it. Whether it's in your marriage, whether it's training your children, whether it's equipping the people in the house of God, whether it's the man on the job that's going through something, and God gives you a word of knowledge, a word of encouragement to impart power, the man comes back and says, I mean, let me share something very, very briefly. Years ago, when I was a young junior high kid, I had a pastor by the name of Earl Bradley come up to me. And I didn't realize I had strongholds of rejection and fear as a young boy. I just did. I'm not going to get into the reasons, but I just, I, I, I wasn't confident. I didn't have the confidence. Earl Bradley from Olympia, Washington comes up to me. I'm a young boy, and he says, God's hand is all over you. I said, God's what? God's hand is all over you. God has a plan for your life. He's going to use you to speak. In fact, tomorrow, I want you to speak at our youth chapel. Our youth chapel had 300 people, and he asked me to speak. And I walked away for about 20, 30 minutes, and I came back and said, Pastor Bradley, I can't, I can't do that. I, 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 I can't. Because <laughs> I I, I've never heard anybody tell me that they saw something in me. I never saw, I never heard that before. I never, never heard anybody say they believed in me, had value in me, saw giftings that I'd... I never in my life heard that before because I was conditioned as an adolescent that you know what, the way you make it through life is you've got to work hard, study hard, which is not wrong to do that, disciplines and all that. But you know, if you're going to... In other words, people that are fortunate... And people that make it are the people that are the lucky ones. I was raised like that as a young person. You're you're just the lucky ones. Well, God was trying to break some strongholds in me as a young person. And Earl Bradley, Pastor Earl Bradley says, you need to believe the word of the Lord. He says, I want you to believe that God has his hand on you. And I want to tell you something. When he began to tell me about what he saw in me, all hell broke loose on me. Do you know I went to bed? I was, I was at youth camp. And I remember going to my bed at night thinking that I'm going to share tomorrow. I have no idea what to share. Do you know that I was sweating so bad in my sleeping bag that it was drenched with sweat? I was dying. What am I going to say to 300 kids? I was, I was just sweating it out. And so the next morning I went to Earl Bradley. I said, Earl, Pastor Earl, I can't. I, I just, I'm, I'm sorry. I, you're going to have to get somebody else to do it. He says, God will give you the word. No, no, that doesn't work like that. I mean, and so I got up, and you would not believe it. That next day I got up, 
I just opened my mouth, start sharing the word. Seven, seven other kids get saved. Seven kids come down and just, you know what I talked about? Fear. You know what's amazing? The thing that you're the weakest in will be the thing that you're graced for. To empower other people to break through the issues that they feel. But see, in our world, we feel like John or like Philip and uh, Philip here said, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be sufficient. What an insult to Jesus. In other words, you're too boring, Lord, for me. I, I need more than what you have. How sad. Think about it. Jesus took Peter, John, and Peter, John, James up to the Mount of Transfiguration, but guess what? He came down. They didn't stay up there. In fact, you know what else he said to them? Don't tell anybody about this until after the resurrection. I wonder why he said that. I mean, why not tell everybody? That's my rationale. Jesus said, don't tell anybody about it. Here's the thing. In strongholds, we have to recognize things that we are blind to. I have certain things. You know what? I'm not talking about sex, drugs, adultery, lying. Those, those are obvious strongholds in the flesh that we need to deal with. And we, I'm talking about strongholds that we might not even be, not even be, realize we have. They might even be good strong, the good things, but they're strongholds and we limit God because we say, God, you just can't do it. Not in me, not here, not there. You can't move in my husband. You can't move in, you, I, God, just not going to happen. That's a stronghold. God wants me to say, Lord, you can do all things. You can do all things. I'm done. Let's stand to our feet. You may say, Pastor Ray, do you need to get the demons? Well, come next week. Praise God. (laughs) I feel so strongly right here that God wants to do a promotion. I believe the Lord wants to anoint us like with a Davidic, Davidic anointing. Let me tell you what a David anointing is. A Davidic anointing is an anointing that causes me to run to Goliath. I am not going to sit there like Israel did for 40 days and stare down the Philistines and qu- shake and die. And No, God wants us to have an anointing to see those uncircumcised Philistines and those problems and those issues dissipate because you are highly favored. There's power, there's anointing, there's life. There's something so amazing in you that has yet to be tapped in. But here is part of that key. You have got, as I have got, we have to embrace what the Bible says. God has chosen the weak and the foolish things to confound the wisdom of men. And some of us have spoken 
inner word curses over ourselves. I'm stupid, I'm dumb, God can't use me, God can't work. And what you've done in your heavenly place, not realizing that you're a son, you're crowned with glory, God has favored you, but your words have come into agreement with a demonic lie and it holds you bound. It's called a stronghold. We're going to break that right now. We're going to break the lie that says you can't, you won't, it won't happen. God wants to do exceedingly, abundantly, above what you could ask or think. Amen? Now, I want us to put our hands, both hands, on the battleground right here. It's our minds. I want you to say this with me. In Jesus' name, I thank you, Father, for my mind. Because I have the mind of Christ. I repent, I renounce, and I reclaim my mind. Every thought, every attitude that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, I pull you down. I trample that scorpion and that snake under my feet. Father, I love you. I belong to you. My mind and my life was created for great things, for greatness, to expand, to explode, to take territory, to change my reality, to see your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. Lord, I renounce small-minded thinking. I declare your kingdom, which is ever-increasing, growing in my life, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You are going to have dreams. Your creative gifts are going to begin to stir. You're going to begin to think of things that you never thought you could do, and it's going to come to pass. I want to tell you something. I'll never forget that first day I I preached. As a By the way, I was eighth grade. Seven kids came down. I I, I need to be careful here. I don't want to exaggerate this in any way. I don't want to say seven kids got saved, but I prayed for seven kids with the leaders. I'm an eighth grader praying for seven kids that had a spirit of fear. They had fear in their life. I don't know if they got saved, but I remember praying over seven kids, so I don't want to say they were saved, but they came down to be prayed for. And I remember as I was just praying for them, I'm not kidding, as I was laying hands on them, do you know what the devil was doing? What are you doing, Ray? I'm praying over them because my pastor, Pastor Iris, here, here, come over here, Dwight. I'm going to use Dwight as, this is little Ray, eighth grade. This is what Pastor Ray, this is what Brother Dick said. He comes and he pushes me up here. I want you to stay right here. Okay. And those seven kids, he says, I want you to get your hands up there. Okay. And, and these seven kids were here. And I remember, I'm, and, and right when I'm beginning to minister over, 
this thought comes to my mind. What are you doing? You were sweating it out last night. Earl Bradley couldn't have hit it right. I mean, I was under such kind of while I was praying for people. See, in heavenly heavenly places is also the second heaven is filled with hellish places. You are to bring every thought, every principality, every power under dominion of the word of God. You have authority. Heavenly places doesn't mean you're always going to feel heavenly. You are to transform that atmosphere. You are to transform first your mind. You've got to break agreement. You've got to renounce certain tendencies. Some of us have been raised with rejection. We've been inferior. We feel, well, we just don't qualify. We think, oh, I don't have a Bible college degree. That is so out of touch. Do you know that I was thinking today, God used little Esther, a teenager. He used a little teenager David. He used a little another teenager Daniel. He used another teenager Jeremiah was a child. He said, Lord, I'm a child. I can't speak. God used throughout the scripture. They weren't highly educated. Do you know that most of the disciples were in their early 20s? They were fishermen, tax collectors. They was, these were people that the Pharisees, scribes, teach completely disenfranchised, said they can't be qualified, yet Jesus said, these are my disciples. Breaking strongholds in your life is beginning to transcend. You are transcending old conditions and old ideas. You are breaking the, you're breaking the mold. You're breaking what others have put on you. You're more than a conqueror. Amen? Amen. Let's just, just bow your head just right now, just for, I still got a few, two or three minutes before it's eight. I filled it today, and I felt this before I came in here, that someone had someone else come to you today on the job. You heard some devastating news from another employee. And I want to say, I almost want to say that it was almost like a death in the family. That someone died, you heard about it. And you heard about this. You overheard it. Or maybe they came to you. I felt the Lord, even before I came in here tonight, impress on me to say this to this individual, whoever it is. God has placed you in a place to bring a word of encouragement and actually befriend this individual. They are so prime and open. In fact, I think they're even backslidden. But I just sense that you have been placed there. I'm not suggesting that you take time during your job. You need to do a good eight hours worth of work. You need to work. But somewhere, if it's a break, a lunchtime after before work, or somewhere sometime after work or something where you can get in touch, I feel like the Lord is bringing opportunity to us as people to be salt and light in the environment, the, 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 the negative environment that, that we live in. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That is a crown. That is a place of phenomenal favor. But you're not there just to simply have your heavenly glorious experience. You're there to do battle. That's what heavenly places are for. I'm not here to 
just, man, I just can't wait to find a place where the glory comes out and, the, you know, the chickens are sprouting or whatever. I am there to do battle. Like I said on Sunday, I didn't want to come last week. I had a big old battle with my wife. And the Lord said, I want you to go back and ask her forgiveness. She had a rat, wrong attitude. And I said, Lord, I'm not wrong. She's wrong. Have you ever told God that? And you really felt you were right? I guess I'm the only one here that does that. But I said, God, I, I can't be wrong. She's, she's really wrong. The Lord, I get over to the church and the Lord says, got a wrong spirit. He says, what are you, what are you coming over to the church for, right? Well, I'm coming to praise you and seek your face. He says, no, you're going to go home. You're going to make it right with your wife. I'll never forget dropping my head. This. I said, Lord, I can't tell her she's right. You know it doesn't make sense. And the Lord said, it's all about being right, isn't it, Ray? You can be so right you're wrong just because of your spirit. And I remember I went home, opened the door. Carol was right there at the door. And I said, Carol, I know what we were discussing. I, and I did tell her this. I said, I still don't agree with you. But my spirit was wrong. And she gives me this hug. And you know what? When I came back to the church, amazing peace. What happened? We did war. Let me tell you something. Not next week, but then the following week, I'm going to talk about the spirit of Jezebel. By the way, the spirit of Jezebel isn't a woman problem. It's nothing to do with women, actually. But one of the problems about the spirit of Jezebel is she hates humility. Hates repentance. And she really hates prophets. But we're going to deal with that in a couple of weeks on the spirit of Jezebel and how Elijah had to deal with that. Do you know the spirit of Jezebel is alive and well today? It's divisive, it's subtle, and it's witchcraft. And even sometimes Christians are walking in it and don't even know it. And we have to understand what we're warned against because the spirit of witchcraft is as rebellion. And so you may say, well, Pastor Ray, wait, 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 wait a minute. I thought we're sons of God. Yeah, yeah, we, we are sons. How many of you you can be a son and still be a rebel? Luke 15, the prodigal son was a rebel. He was self-centered. He left. But praise God, he came back. The humility, he understood. That whole story was intended to help him be transformed. It wasn't intended to humiliate and hurt him. God's not out to hurt you. God's out to restore his people. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. Lord, I just pray that as we go, that you would just continue to bless, increase, and strengthen us. Lord, help us to realize that in the place that we're seated with you right now is a place of great favor, great blessing, great increase, great vision. Lord, even like Philip and, and uh, the other disciple, Lord, who said, Lord, just show us the Father. Lord, you've shown us the Father. You've given us a place of dominion right now. And he said, if we simply believe greater works 
greater things will be seen and done in our life. Lord, we leave you. We, we leave with this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes. Go ahead.